0: As a church, we've been exploring this uh, notion that the the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's a a cross-shaped life that we live. The the way of the cross and the way of the world are at odds with each other, and it makes it very difficult to live this cross-shaped life, and Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians to uh, help Put them back on track to live the life that that Jesus called them to live and not just live like the world around them. As a a church, we need that reminder too. And, And one of the ways that we do that is we gather here on Sundays and we consider God's word and it regrounds us, it reorients us to a life with Christ. But that's just one sliver of what we do together. Throughout the week, uh, in our small groups, we are gathering and doing this very same thing as we explore God's word together, as we support one another in this journey of walking the cross-shaped life. So uh, this morning, we're highlighting our small group ministry, and I want to invite Jess Horkin to come forward at this time. She's going to share her testimony with us about her experience of uh, joining a small group this year. So Jess, thanks thanks for sharing with us.
1: Hi, good morning everybody. You can hear me. I sat right up front to make it easy. Um, So, I love to share, and I love to speak, but I am a little nervous, and you're going to hear my story, and you'll know why, uh, because I'm rusty. Um, So, what what I'm hoping is that I can share with you one of the many gifts that God has given me in the last six months, and that is the gift of a small group and the ways in which that can influence your life and has influenced mine. So... First of all, let me talk about the small group. It's so lovely. It's very empowering, um, it's loving, it's grounding, and it's inspiring. Um, I truly look forward to it. And we meet at 6.30 in the morning (laughs) on Thursdays. Uh, I joined the Crack a Dawn group um, of women that meet and right at a time when I was taking a major step back and transition in my life. So for many, many years, if I'm being true, my entire life, I have been driving towards accomplishment and what I could achieve. Um, and probably did quite well at that. Um, Mary J.P. talked about driving towards glory versus God, and if I was being judged on glory, I was right up there. Um, and I decided in August that I was going to take a step away from that and try to reground in faith in God and what God has in store for me and not what I could try to control. Um, and right at that time... Roselle and I were walking, and she said, hey, we're starting a small group. Would you like to join? And I said, sounds interesting. And she told me the time, and I was like, I'm unemployed. I don't really want to get up that early, but sure. And so uh, I did go. And right around the same time, JP talked about, on one Sunday, my words, um, from your, you know, words, this study that had been done where people kind of fell away from their journey with God, and not because they had some big falling out, but because they just got too busy, right? Too busy with life, and that had happened to me. I'm the mom of two fantastic teenage boys, and I'm the wife of a very hardworking, engaged, phenomenal man from Donegal, and I love to run marathons, and that takes a lot of time, and I had moved away from God. He was always there, right? Never gonna give me more than I could handle, but I really wasn't close with him. And so this was my time to step back and do that. And as part of the small group, there are three things that I, I really just, they're so amazing, and I can't even truly appreciate them. And I know over time I'm going to even appreciate them even more, but I'm hoping to share them with you. Um, first was the fellowship. Second is that we are grounded in what matters the most, the Bible and God and Jesus. And I find myself sharing Jesus in ways I didn't even know I was capable of. I just talked to people about it. And I'm like, oh, hey, did you know this? Did you know that? And I, I never did that before. And if I did, I wasn't aware of it. Um, so the women, right away, it was a trusting environment. What we share in small groups stays in small group. It was a forgiving environment. I show up 10 minutes late because that's me. Um, it's just a really great place to, to be with wonderful women and share in Christ. Um, second, It's kept me grounded. You know, I went to an all-women's Catholic college. I studied the Bible, but I never actually thought about what it meant to me. I didn't retain passages or say, how is God speaking to me through this passage? And then lastly, um, this one really occurred to me last night. It's got me reconnected with the church um, and with people that share values, so whether it be the, small, the Women's Breakfast, or Alpha, or Core Unum, just different ways to start to become involved. And I really, I wasn't looking for that, but I'm loving it. Um, so I hope that you too will be able to share in similar um, small group experiences and that'll have an influence on your life. Um, I do wanna thank the people that are in my small group, Roselle and Maureen and Anne and Beth. they're amazing. Um, and I, lastly, I wanna tell you Probably the part that I'm most excited and scared for, but um, the women in the small group, they've prayed for me every week, and they pray for me when I don't even know they're praying for me. And they've been praying for me to hear God's word, and to hear his vision for me, and to see it. And I could have gone out and thrown out resumes and started finding the next job, and no doubt gotten some high powerful job again. And instead, I've tried to stay true to what I really want right now. And God brought me a company. They didn't even have a job. They created one for me. And that company, when I was talking to the CEO and the co-founder, and I said, you know, I'm a business consultant, so I get on airplanes a lot and I go out in front of people, but I don't really want to be on the road on Thursdays. I know I can't do it every week, but I have a small group, and I look forward to that small group, and it makes me a better person in the world. You know what they said? We're Christians. We love you. We love your faith. That is amazing. We will do our best so that you can be true to your Thursday small group. And on Friday, I got the official paperwork for them to offer for me to join their business that they've built in a way that fits with my life and what I'm trying to do. So thank you to the My Small Group members who have prayed for me and will continue to do so, no doubt. Um, and I hope that you all will check out, I think there's some tables and information on small groups and surely uh, Rizelle and JP can give you better information than I can on that. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, calling us to be your people together. And it's, it is, we, we experience all the blessings of the fellowship and, um, the, the, the unity and the, just the exploring of your word and your way together, the gift of prayer, which we exercise together, for how you provided for Jess with this group and with her new job and all of uh, your blessing in these ways, Lord. We're grateful. And now we turn together, everybody in this room, we turn to your word and we seek to know your heart and your way, Lord. Uh, may your will be done, not ours. May we learn your way, not the path of this world, Lord. This time is yours. We uh, pray your blessing over it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been journeying through this letter, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, we've been seeing that there's the values of Corinth, there's the values of their world, and there's the values of the cross, and they're very much at odds with one another. Today, the issue is... Uh, well. he the, Paul's continuing to talk about this one issue over and over again where this church had divided into factions where some of them, were, they were elevating their leaders. One group said, "Oh, we, we follow Paul. He's, he's the best. He's been so influential on us. Another group said, we follow Peter. And another, people, another group said, we follow um, Apollos. And they, they've, they're in these different camps, and they're very divided. And he's gone over and over again about how this should not be. But really, this dividing into factions in this church was just a symptom and there was a root problem underneath it that he exposes and, and explicitly says here, the problem was pride. The problem was that they were becoming puffed up with themselves. At the end of verse 6, you see it here. It says, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against another. So that's kind of how the world works where... You know, you, you look at yourself and you see what you have and what you're proud of. And you kind of just kind of kind of puffs you up. Uh, But the way of the cross is a way of humility. And if we put Jesus first, if we understand his way, we'll understand true humility and be able to combat this, this boasting and this, this pride. Look at verse eight. He said, already you have all you want you become rich, you've begun to reign. Verse 10, you are so wise, you're so strong, you're so honored. They just felt like they had made it, that they had achieved, and they were boasting about how gifted they were and how spiritual they were. Uh, but really, it, it comes down to pride. Pride is feeling better about yourself compared to others. Pride isn't one of those sins. Uh, C.S. Lewis In his book, Mere Christianity, he has a whole chapter. His chapter is called The Great Sin. So he basically says that pride is the greatest sin. And the problem with pride is that most people don't think they have it, but most people do absolutely have it and struggle with it. And he said it's... it's, Let me just read this quote. He says, Pride gets no pleasure of having something, only of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. It's this inherent thing inside us that wants to feel better that wants to feel, to, to get away from the suffering of life and the ways that I fall short and the way I view myself and to elevate myself. And the only way to do that is compare yourself to others. And that's the, that's, that's the nature of pride. And then pride is leading to all these other problems in the life of this church. And I want today, I want to look at two ways that we can combat pride. So Lewis says most people struggle with it. Maybe you struggle with it. I certainly struggle with it. This church in Corinth struggled with it. It's a very common struggle. Uh, but let's take a look at two ways to combat pride. The first way to combat pride is to learn gospel humility. That is, a, a, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is going to shape an understanding of humility that's different than, than what most of the world would teach you as humility. My understanding of this concept was heavily influenced by a pastor named Dr. Tim Keller. He was a pastor in Manhattan and for many years at a Presbyterian church. He's recently retired from that part of his ministry. Uh, but he taught about this concept of self-forgetfulness. And this basically he explained it like this. In the world, in traditional cultures in our world and in, in ancient cultures, the, the biggest problem with the world, the reason why people were violent or criminal or the reason why there was evil in the world was pride. It was hubris. And the way to fix that is to bring people down, to shame them and punish them and control people because have too high of a view of themselves. They think they're above the law or they think they're better than others and they can take what's not theirs. And you just need to lower their view of themselves. But he said, but in contemporary culture, people believe that the problem with the world and the reason why people are violent or criminal or, or do these things is because they have too low of a view of themselves. They have a too low of a self-esteem. So what we need to do is build into people. Maybe they weren't loved as children or they, they didn't receive something. We need to build them up more that their self-esteem is too too low. He said... The difference with gospel humility, gospel humility is not about thinking less of yourself. And it's not about thinking more of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. It's, it's taking the focus off of yourself. This, and that at the heart of pride is that I'm, I'm thinking of myself and, and who I am. And he said gospel humility is just thinking about yourself less. Look at, the, look at where we see that in this passage here. Take a look at verse 3. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Basically, he said, look, I, I'm not going to base my life based on your judgment of me, what you think of me, or what anybody else thinks of me. I mean, That's, that's no way to live. And, and many of us, we live our lives, we go out and... Excuse me. <coughs> There's this, um, there's this fear like what are people going to think of me or how am I going to prove myself today and what is my boss going to think of my work and, or what my coworkers or what are people going to think about how I raise my children or live my life and constantly wanting to gain the esteem of others and live in such a way that other people's judgment of us is sort of the ultimate judgment and we define our lives by that. That's a very low self-esteem kind of, of view. And if you go visit a counselor or a therapist, they'll probably tell you that. They'll probably say, do not base your life on how other people judge you. You need to be your own person. You need to, you need to be you and be comfortable with that. And that's a good thing. That's, that's good advice. And you, you meet people who are self-confident, and we admire that. People say, yeah, I don't care what other people think about me. I'm going to live my life. And that's a good way to live but the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm, I, don't, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. But he goes a, a whole step further in verse 3. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. I don't care what other people think of me. Actually, you know what? I don't even care what I think of me. Because I know that I can easily fall into the sin of pride. If I just kind of set my own standards and live the way I want to live, and I don't care what other people think, there's a certain pride in that because you're achieving your standards of right and wrong. But here Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Just because I feel good about myself doesn't mean I'm actually good. I'm only good by my own standard, which I set myself. But genuinely, it's God who is the one who judges. I can feel good about myself and I can feel puffed up about myself, but verse five he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart and at that time each will receive their praise from God. It doesn't matter what you think of me, it doesn't matter what I think of me. It matters what God thinks. And knowledge of God and putting focus on God is a really great antidote for pride because if pride is how much I have compared to someone else or how much better I am than someone else, if I compare myself to God, I realize I've got nothing. If I compare myself to his power and his perfection and his riches of life, I've got nothing. And it's a, it's a great way of, uh, of giving us some humility to know that only by the grace of God you are who you are, and you have what you have. Look at verse continue, continuing on here in verse six. It says, "Then you'll not be puffed up being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? The grace of God ruins our pride. The the grace of God says that you need it, grace is a free gift. You needed God's salvation. God gave you life and God redeems your life. That's not something you do, that's something He gave you. So why are you pretending like you're so much greater than someone else? That's gospel humility. And again, in in different communities of Christians, you might hear it it differently. You could go to one church and they'll say, everybody in this room is absolutely a sinner and you've got to turn around because you're bad. And again, that's the view of you're thinking too high of yourself and you've got to lower your esteem. But you could go to another church and they would say, everybody in this room is just fine the way you are how God made you, and we're trying to just take your esteem and kind of build it up. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is neither of those things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, yes, you are a sinner, but God loves you. And his grace is sufficient for you to forgive you. And he gives it to you freely. Jesus Christ on the cross takes your guilt on himself and he gives you his righteousness. And God loves you enough to make you to transform you to be more like Jesus and by faith you enter into that. That's that's the gospel and that is and again it's not about br- bringing me down, it's not about uh, boosting me up, it's about receiving something I didn't deserve and being transformed by the power of God. It's putting our focus on him, taking our eyes off ourselves and then you just forget yourself. Not judging by what other people think of me or even what I think of myself, but knowing how loved I am by God. And that helps us combat pride. The second way that we can combat pride is through servanthood. Remember the problem here is that people were putting these leaders on the pedestal. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Look back at verse 1. He says, this then is how how you ought to regard us as servants. Of Christ, And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. He said, we're just servants. Servants, you're putting us up on a pedestal. We're taking a low position as a servant. The word for servant there uh, in Greek, it's an interesting word. It literally means an under rower. So it's, it's the image is of one of these ancient battleships, like a trireme that has, you know, in the hull of a ship, all the servants are just pulling the oars, rowing and rowing, and they are only doing their work at the command of someone else. He said, look, you're you're putting us up here. We're really in the hull of the ship. Row harder on the right, harder on the left. Row faster, but that's about it. That's the image. And then the image actually gets even more vivid in verse 9. Paul says, it seems to me God has put us apostles... On display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. The image is of a uh, in Roman time when there was a, a battle and there was a victory, there would be a victory parade, a triumph parade, and they would bring the, you know, showing, displaying the plunder that they had got, and, and all the soldiers coming through. And at the end of the procession are the captives, the conquered king, those who would then be executed publicly, made spectacle of. And Paul said, actually, you know, you're kind of putting us up here, but we're at the end of the line. We're the ones whose lives are um, to be ended. It's an image of suffering. Pride doesn't fit that equation when you put yourself in that place of a, a servant. But they were boasting. Verse 10 again. We're fools for Christ, but you're so wise. We're weak, we're dishonored. Verse 11, We go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. we talk about servanthood in the way of Jesus. We have to remember, Jesus called himself a servant, but he said, "I've come to, to serve and to give my life." Jesus is a servant, but he's the suffering servant. We sometimes talk about service. Like community service, like, oh, after work, I'm gonna go help at this thing, or before work, I'm gonna do that. You know, ways to help people that, you know, times that are convenient for me, or, you know, ways that, you know, people need help. And those are fantastic ways to serve, don't get me wrong. But when Jesus talks about being a servant, He's a servant unto death. It's a very costly way of giving your life and serving, it's about suffering. But at this point, we say, wait a minute. If the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and the way of the cross is a way of suffering, why do I want that? Why would I walk this way of suffering? I think abundant life is when I don't suffer. Life's going well when things are easy. I actually want to avoid suffering. One of the ways we avoid suffering is pride. Because I have the suffering of life, whether it's hurt relationships, whether it's my own failures, my own illness, whatever it is, and I... Compare myself to others in some way or another that just elevates me, puffs me up enough to just sort of numb those things. It, it, it will um, s- sort of make me feel not quite so bad. But in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we all suffer. Whether it's small day-to-day things or whether it's not everybody suffers in grand ways with abuse and violence, although some people do. Injustices, oppression... But in Jesus Christ, he doesn't just give us a a way to ignore that or put it away. In Jesus Christ, we see God understands suffering. That God suffers, that Jesus Christ suffered, that he experienced the human condition, that he was hungry, that he was ridiculed, that he was tired, that his friend died and he cried because his friend died. And he himself suffered physically and died on the cross. Jesus doesn't just give us this escape from suffering. Jesus enters into human suffering. And acknowledges suffering for what it is. It's suffering. It grieves the heart of God that we suffer. That Jesus cried out in anguish when he suffered. And experienced all the brokenness of the world. But here's here's why we would want to walk that way. Because we have the hope of resurrection. That Jesus Christ he experienced all the suffering, but he rose to new life to show to us that there is, that there is hope, that there is healing that can be experienced now and, and fully in the life to come. Because we can feel so alone in our suffering and we can feel so isolated, but our suffering connects us to the God who suffered. We become like him in his death that we might somehow become like him in his resurrection. Paul wrote in another letter. That that was his goal. And that's why you would walk this cross-shaped life. Because you can endure. You're going to face the suffering either way. But with the perspective of the cross, we have hope. And this is what it looks like in verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world, right up to this point. Look, we can be treated so poorly, and we can suffer in every which way, but we respond with with kindness. We respond with blessing. And that's the abundant life, to be able to not escape our suffering, but to find joy in the midst of it, because we have hope, because of the resurrection. Your other option is pride. Just numb your pain, just soothe yourself by thinking by, you know, puffing yourself up however you can do that, but there's no real hope in that. But in Jesus Christ there is real hope. Again in that chapter in Mere Christianity, CS Lewis said, "If you want to deal with pride, the first step is this: to recognize that you are proud." that we all struggle with this. But we can all learn the freedom of self-forgetfulness. We can all learn the power of living the servant life, even suffering, but suffering with hope, connected to God, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we um, we need to learn this, Lord. We, we pray that you would... Change our hearts to see what real life is, what real abundant life is in you. Lord, keep us from the trap of pride. Help us to learn real humility. Help us to get our eyes off ourselves and back on you, Lord. Only by your grace can we do it. So we pray for the grace. We pray for your amazing and abundant grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to do your good work in our hearts, Lord. May you be glorified in all things. We thank you for your victory over sin and death and the grave and the great hope of eternal life, which we experience now. And will know fully one day, Lord, praise you. Hallelujah. Amen.